Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. We're looking at Revelation, and we're looking at Revelation chapter 8, and we're looking at the trumpets in particular. We're going to take this in two messages. We're going to look at the first four trumpets this morning. We're going to look at the next two uh, over the next period of time, and then we'll get into chapters 9 and 10 uh, in terms of what the seventh trumpet opens up, which is the bowls of wrath, which I believe are during the last three and a half year period of time of the tribulation. Have you, as parents, come to the conclusion that when all things are silent in the home, there's probably something wrong? Right? I can remember uh, growing up with that and kind of thinking about that, but it never really impacted me until Jonathan and Holland were about, you know, six and two, seven and three in that particular range, and they'd be playing upstairs, and I could hear them because I would be sitting in my chair and, and maybe studying or watching TV or doing something, and I could hear them very clearly having a good time. But when everything got silent... As a dad, as a mom, as parents, we immediately went, huh? (laughs) Right? Uh, I remember one time Jonathan had taken uh, a a can of, what's that, landscape orange spray? Right? You know what I'm talking about? And uh, we were landscaping the backyard in Georgia, and we had a wonderful dog, Daisy May, that he decided deserved his attention. (laughs) And the canvas map of that dog became quite an artistic expression. (laughs) But there was silence. All of a sudden, I was like, where's Jonathan? Where'd he go? It's quiet. Yeah, he's looking at me like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right? Hey, when we have silence, something happens, doesn't it? You, you can be watching a football game and everybody's going crazy and somebody gets injured and they're down on the, on the ground and what happens? You know something is either about to happen, something's wrong, something's going on. And what we see at the beginning of Revelation is silence. Silence. Now think about that. See, when we begin to open up the seals and we begin to look at what it is that God's doing in terms of bringing judgment, pouring out his wrath and effect on this earth, and again, it's for two reasons. It's to bring Israel back to himself, but it's also to deal with sin and rebellious hearts. When we get into the trumpets, all of a sudden, right before the trumpets begin to be sounded, there's silence in heaven for about a half an hour, John tells us. And in the midst of that, it's a warning. In the midst of it, there's a respect for the Lord and the glory of God. In the midst of it, there's a recognition that God is about to do something and everybody ought to take note. Everybody ought to kind of stand up and recognize that something's wrong. But God's going to do something about it. See, when we talk about this world and we talk about the things of this world, God has a perspective of this. He calls the nations beasts. He looks upon the different things that people do as evil, and he recognizes that out of the corruption of the heart, there's something that only he can deal with. And when we talk about the end times, we talk about Daniel's 70th week, the seven-year period of time we call the tribulation or the great tribulation, we're talking about a time where, in effect, God has said, that's enough. He has seen evil throughout this world in such a way that now he has 
taken off the restraint of evil and allowed evil to begin to take its natural course and he directs it and he causes some of the judgments that begin to take place for two reasons. One, to get rid of sin and to make it very clear to people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ or who have not repented and received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior that they need the Lamb. In the midst of all of this, we have worldwide revival taking place. We saw that with 144,000 and the great multitude out of the tribulation. But now we're entering a moment where those who are remaining on this earth literally refuse to repent, even though they know the judgments are coming from God. There's silence for about a half an hour. Revelation chapter 8 Verse 1, it says, when the lamb broke the seventh seal, and understand that the lamb alone is worthy of the scroll. The lamb alone has opened each of these seals, which show that they are divine judgments by their very nature. When the lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Man, think about that. What have we seen so far that's taking place around the throne room of God? There's worship, there's the declaration of his goodness, there's the declaration of his glory, there's the throwing of crowns in front of him, there is the bowing before him, there are statements from all kinds of multitudes, whether it's the angels, the living creatures, the 24 elders, or all through the heavens, this declaration of praise to God is constantly taking place. But as we get into the seven trumpets, suddenly there's a pause, there's a timeout, and there's silence throughout heaven better take note better listen up something's wrong and something's about to happen Warren Wearsby states it this way he says certainly this silence was the lull before the storm for God's intensified judgments were about to be hurled to the earth. It's not that these judgments hadn't been taking place. We've seen that. It's that suddenly the intensification of these judgments was now going to happen. And tribulation and judgment like has never been seen on this earth is now starting to unfold. In Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 7 the prophet records, hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Think about that. Folks, God is not mocked. God knows the tyrants of this world. God knows the corruption of sinful humanity. The Lord understands it all. He sees it all. It's before him. We've been introduced to the Lord at the very beginning of Revelation as the one who has eyes like flaming fire, meaning he's able to see through everything. He sees through all the motives. He sees through all the excuses. He sees through all the smoke screens that perhaps we put up. He, he's not mocked in this. He understands. He recognizes, and he sees all things. In the midst of it, the idea that when God is about to act, that there's silence, there's a respect for the Lord and what is about to take place. There is a reverence for God and what he alone is able to accomplish. How are we 
reverent towards the Lord in our own lives? How do we view sin? How do we view his anger towards sin? How is it that we're participating as believers in something that actually Christ went to the cross for? Why would we do that? And if we do that, which at times even the Apostle John agreed that we do, what are we supposed to do as a result? We confess it, we agree with the Lord that it's sin, and we receive cleansing from it. Folks, we, we are living in a day where literally sin is looked upon as a game. Sin is looked upon as something that's not a big deal. God's wrath towards sin is something that is foreign almost to us, it seems. And we're living in a day where we need to get back to the reality of God's holiness and have a reverence for him and a respect for him. This is, you're here today, my prayer is, is to learn more about God and to come away with a vision of how great God really is so that it impacts your life in the midst of all that you do. So that when you're by yourself, you have a recognition that God lives in me and is with me. And as a result, certain activities are not from him. That when you're with other people and you have the tendency to say things that you shouldn't say, or when you're doing certain things that you know are not pleasing to the Father, that the Lord in you begins to convict you and simply say to you, no, 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 that's not the way. Don't go there. That's not my will for your life. I've got a better way. And I'll empower you to walk in it if you'll just yield to me. See, we're living in a day <laughs> where sin just seems to be the wallpaper of our society in so many ways. And we've become so comfortable in it, my fear is, that somehow the glory of God, which can never be diminished with regard to who he truly is. But somehow the glory of God in the midst of the body of Christ is being diminished through us. Folks, this is serious stuff, and I know you know that. You're not, you're not here because you think it's not serious, but how is it impacting our lives day by day as we walk with the Lord in the midst of our time? How are we praying for one another? How are we forgiving one another? How are we getting along together? How is it that we're walking with God in love for one another? Because that's what God wants to do through a body of believers so that he is revealed, so that he's made manifest into the community, into the world. Everywhere we go, we are the church, and we have the opportunity to reveal the greatness and the goodness and the glory of God through us. There's silence in heaven for about half an hour. Well, in verse 2, he says, I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. What an interesting moment this is. These seven angels are given these seven trumpets, and these seven trumpets are going to become ultimately judgments of God poured out upon this earth. What's interesting to me is why trumpets What's the significance of trumpets? My dad played a trumpet when uh, I was growing up, and there were times I did not appreciate it, particularly in the morning. On Sunday mornings, when my brother and I would be sleeping, we had had a long week, played sports, did all that kind of stuff, maybe had studied a bunch, and about 7.30 in the morning, he'd come in, and he would play Reveille to wake us up. Now, come on. It was put the pillows on the heads, grab the covers, give me the mattress over me, 
take me home, Lord Jesus moment. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Trumpets announce something. Trumpets get your attention, don't they? Trumpets are something that when you hear them, you immediately listen because you, you hear the tone and you, you begin to take note of what's going on. Why, why is that playing? You like Western movies? I love Western movies. What happened when the Calvary came? That bugle, in effect, that trumpet announcing what's going on. The people that were in dire straits would hear them coming and they'd be like, oh, the Calvary's coming. <laughs> Trumpets announce something. Trumpets are really interesting in terms of scripture and the presentation. Let me take you through just a few thoughts in terms of why trumpets. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, we saw this. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. This is the beginning of Revelation and what had been revealed to John. And I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see. This is the Lord Jesus Christ coming to the Apostle John. And John's record of that moment was that his voice, the Lord's voice, was like the sound of a trumpet. It cut through everything that John was doing. He immediately paid attention and took note of what was being said. In Revelation 4.1, John was called up to heaven in chapter 4 by a trumpet. It says this, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. A voice like a trumpet calling John to come up into the heavens. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, the trumpet will sound calling the church to be called up, to be raptured with the Lord. He says this, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise First, trumpets announce things. Trumpets get our attention. It's interesting because a lot of the, the language that's used, a lot of the pictures that are used in Revelation come straight out of the Old Testament. And if you've got your Bibles, look over at Numbers chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Numbers chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Uh, Moses was told to make two silver trumpets in order to do various things to announce, to declare, to warn the people of Israel, the congregation as they're called in these verses. It says this, the Lord spoke further to Moses saying, make yourself two trumpets of silver of hammered work. You shall make them and you shall use them for, and he gives them a list of different ways that they're to use them. The first thing is to alert the congregation to gather together. He says, summoning the congregation and for having the camp set out. When both are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So it was used to alert the congregation to gather. Secondly, in verse 4, it's used to assemble leaders. If only one is blown, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel, shall assemble before you. Wouldn't that be great in, in Albuquerque? I, I, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah, maybe over the radio, some of the ham radio operators, you know, all of a sudden a trumpet goes off, and everybody from Hoffmantown just goes, whoa, wait a minute, 
Let's pay attention to that. It's time to gather over at the, at the building they call the church. We're actually the church, but let's go gather together. And if only one trumpet sounds, all the leaders go, hey, we're needed. It's time to come and gather together. <laughs> Can you imagine all these people that are lined up from Israel, this great, vast multitude, listening immediately because they hear these trumpets and they know that whatever that trumpet's doing, it has some significance for what they're supposed to do. Because trumpets announce things. When trumpets begin to sound, you take note. You listen. In verse 5, they were blown for the alarm. When you blow an alarm, the camps that are pitched on the east side shall set out. When you blow an alarm the second time, the camps that are pitched on the south side shall set out. An alarm is to be blown for them to set out. When convening the assembly, however, you shall blow without sounding an alarm. The priestly sons of Aaron, moreover, shall blow the trumpets. By the way, that shows that this was uh, indicative of worship. There was an act of worship. Why? Because the sons of Aaron are the Levites. And he goes on, he says, this shall be for you a perpetual statute throughout your generations. In verse 9, it was uh, significant because when the trumpets were blown, they were to go to war. When you go to war in your land against the adverse adversary who attacks you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets that you may be remembered before the Lord your God and be saved from your enemies. The idea is if you don't blow the trumpets, what's going to happen? Is God going to be with you? No, God told them this is what you are supposed to do. And so they were to blow the trumpets, not only to warn people, not only to let them know what to do, but also to go to war, and they were to do so with the Levites blowing the trumpets, indicating that the Lord is the one who is going to fight for them. The Lord is the one who's going to go before them. Fifth and last, they were to mark the feasts along with other offerings and celebrations. In verse 10, he says, also, in the day of your gladness... In your appointed feasts and on the first days of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be as a reminder uh, of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. For the Jewish people, trumpets had great significance. And when we look at Revelation and we're told there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour, and then the seven angels who stand before God are given seven trumpets. John, as a Jewish believer, would have immediately recognized something's about to be announced. In effect, there's a war that's taking place. Sin is an adversary, and God is going against it. And in the midst of this, the judgments are from the Lamb himself, because he's opened the seventh seal, which are the seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet is what? the seven bowls. Think about that. Take note. Listen up. In verse 3 of Revelation 8, we're told another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense and the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hands. Notice they're mixed together. And then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. Wow, this is almost like girding up for battle. And what's the battle? I would suggest it's against sin. 
I would suggest it's against uh, the Antichrist and Satan's attack against the Jewish people. And in the midst of this, there are trumpets that are about to be sounded in order to warn, in order to let people know, take note, God's about to do something here. The act of incense is a picture of prayer. When you talk about the incense on the altar, we're talking about a picture of the prayers of the saints. And in uh, the fifth seal, we saw the martyrs who are under the altar, those who had been martyred for their faith. We saw the great multitude that is coming out of the beginning part of the tribulation. And their prayer, in effect, was not if God was going to do something, but when was God going to do something. And the indication here is that their prayers, which are signified by incense, are being placed on the altar, and therefore their prayers are about to be answered. Because God is going to bring judgment upon those who refuse to repent, refuse to believe in the Lamb, and have killed the saints as well. What's interesting is the angel not only put the incense on the altar, but he also took coals from the altar and threw them to the earth. Judgment in this way is being depicted as about to take Place. We see this in Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 1 through 2, where Ezekiel had the vision of the wheel in the middle of the wheels and the throne of God. He says this in Ezekiel 10, 1 through 2, I looked and behold in the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, something like a sapphire stone in appearance resembling a throne appeared above them. And he spoke to the man clothed in linen and said, Enter between the whirling wheels and under the cherubim and fill your hands with coals of fire from between the cherubim and scatter them over the city. And he entered in my sight. So the idea was that he took the coals that were in the very holy presence of God and he took those coals and he was commanded to throw them over the city. That's the picture that John has as well in Revelation where suddenly we have coals from the fire of the altar thrown to the earth, indicating that judgment is about to take place. The angels prepared themselves to sound the trumpets, indicating the impending judgments about to occur. Well, what's interesting is the first four trumpets, in effect, are natural disasters. But if you notice, every one of them are things that are thrown that come from, if you will, above. The first trumpet in this celestial judgment is an ecological disaster. Verse 7, the first sound of there came hail and fire mixed with blood. It gives us pictures of the plagues at the time of Egypt and Israel. Mixed with blood, they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The dry earth, the vegetation, food sources are destroyed. Earth's planet, the whole ecological system is imbalanced. Think about that. That's an amazing, horrific picture. The second trumpet Sounds, the second angel in verse 8, sounded. By the way, these are chronological. I believe these take place one right after the other. 
The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Here, not only do we have the food sources and the green grass and trees and all this kind of stuff burning up with hail and fire and how it was mixed with blood, we're not sure, but obviously this is divine in nature, so trying to explain that is something, who, who can do that? But now we see a, something like a great mountain burning with fire thrown into the sea. And again, it's something coming from above. It's something that is directed by God, and it is now something that God is specifically and intentionally doing in order to bring sin to its conclusion as well as to draw Israel to himself, as well as, and I would suggest this in the midst of it all, in order to share the gospel and the truth of who God really is. In this, we have something like a great mountain. Perhaps it's a volcano. Perhaps it's something else. But it's thrown into the sea. It causes a third of the sea to turn to blood. And again, you get visions or pictures of what happened in Egypt with the plagues. It kills a third of sea life. A third of the ships of the earth are destroyed, which completely devastates the economic ability of the earth to have business together, if you think of it that way. We know this is divine. It's not just a natural disaster. Why? Because the sea becomes blood. It's not just the Mediterranean Sea, folks. I believe this is a worldwide catastrophic event, a third of the sea. The third trumpet sounds in verse 10, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on springs of water. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. In effect, Wormwood, the word itself means undrinkable. It means that you, you can't drink it. It has the idea of bitterness, but it has the indication of something that is untenable. You can't, can't take it in. And anybody that did, died. Some people believe that because the language of a star is being used here with regard to Wormwood, that it may be a fallen angel that is cast down onto the earth, and this fallen angel creates this disaster. And that very well may be. Throughout Scripture, stars or star, a star, is used of angels in very many places. I tend to think that this is more of a natural type of situation where something takes place, it is a celestial judgment, and it is being uh, done to this earth to where a third of all the rivers and the springs of water become undrinkable. And if you drink them, they are made bitter and you will not be able to live because it's not sustaining life. It's not able to sustain life. Think about the impact ecologically of that. Think about all the fish. Think about all the plants. Think about how oxygen even is impacted. It's indescribable how the ecology of the entire planet is literally being turned upside down. The fourth trumpet sounds in verse 12, and a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck so that a third of them would be darkened and the day would not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way. Imagine the panic at this point. Imagine the panic. This isn't just one hurricane. This is a global 
catastrophic series of events. We don't know exactly how the light will be impacted, but basically the long and short of it is that there will be a third less whether it's something that's actually done to the sun or whether it's something done to the moon and the stars, we don't really know. But the bottom line is that the light that we are used to having is interrupted and it won't be there. And think about that. Walverd puts it this way, the prophet Jeremiah spoke of the sun and moon as tokens of God's faithfulness to his promise to the nation of Israel and as symbols of their continuance as long as the earth endures. These very tokens of blessing and revelation of the glory of God are affected by the fourth trumpet. So dramatic are the judgments and so unmistakably an evidence of the power and sovereignty of God that blaspheming men on earth can no longer ignore the fact that God is dealing with them. Think about that. Well, then in verse 13, we have this severe warning. We're going to look at this more closely next week. The three woes. The three woes are actually the last three trumpets. Verse 13 says, I looked and heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Now, I don't know about you, but if I saw an eagle flying in mid-heaven saying with a loud voice over and over and over again, I think I would take note. (laughs) Folks, these are serious moments because God is warning and God is trying to get the attention of people. C.S. Lewis says pain is God's megaphone. Why would an all-loving God who is equally just do these things because he knows that some people have hardened hearts and the only way to reach them is to interrupt the normalcy or whatever the normalcy they think of it as of their lives. And this, the idea of woe, is grief, misery, disaster. And the word saying here is in the present tense and it means that this uh, eagle is flying through constantly making this statement over and over and over and over again. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Because the final three trumpets are about to sound. We're going to look at trumpets five and six next week. Trumpet seven, when it's sounded, ultimately is the middle of the tribulation and we enter into what that trumpet uh, entails, which is the seven bowls of wrath. So the last three trumpets are the woes that are being announced to this earth. Well, let me ask you something. How do we respond to this? <laughs> it's sobering, isn't it? It's sobering. I kind of get through studying this stuff, and I think, wow. I don't have, Lord, hmm. Where do we go with this? Blessed are the ones who read and what? Heed the book of this prophecy. Not just hear it, not just listen to it, but say, yes, Lord, in the midst of it. 
Blessed are those who recognize that even though as the body of believers, the church, I don't believe we're going to go through these things, we recognize that these things will take place. And how does that begin to motivate us with the people all around us who don't know the Lord? How are we prepared to see Jesus face to face? How are we walking today with the Lord in peace, in grace, in joy, trusting in the sovereignty of God, trusting that the events are filtered through his hands and that he's promised to bring good out of them? And how are we coming before the Lord saying, Lord, here's my life. Use it in whatever way you choose. How are we walking with God in the midst of our day in this culture when we know that 96, approximately 96% of Albuquerque is lost, steeped in religion, steeped in religion, but not with the knowledge of the true God through Jesus Christ. How does that impact us? So there's all kinds of different ways to be involved. Maybe it's the disaster relief stuff. Maybe it's some things that God has put in your life. You know, one of the things that I love is our K groups and the care groups that are a part of that. Yesterday we had a, a wonderful service here for the Kinzer family. And John Sondager's class put together and helped with the food. And there was all kinds of people up there serving and helping and ministering. Maybe it's to be involved in things like that. Maybe it's to be involved in Awana, to come alongside of a kid and help them learn a verse of Scripture and listen to them and put your arm around them. Do you realize how many children in our day and time do not live with both biological parents? It's indescribable. They need us to come alongside and just share the love of Christ by putting our arm around them and saying we care and we're going to pay attention to you because you matter. Maybe it's a care group who meets at home and, and you've been meeting together for a long period of time and you're wonderful friends and you encourage one another and you've got great fellowship and suddenly God's putting it on your heart. There's neighbors all around us that we need to be in prayer for and we need to maybe invite them to come in so that we can just say, hey, can we pray for you? What's God doing in your life? What are the circumstances that you're going through? Maybe the Lord would use that to open doors so that you can share with them the hope of the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, there's so many different ways. I, I tend not to give you all specific things because I want you to follow the Lord and, and listen to what God has to say for your life, in your experience, in your environment. What is it that the Lord's calling you to? I had a great conversation with somebody this week. They said, boy, God's put on my heart. I feel like this would be a great idea. Maybe we could get the men together and go watch football. And I said, that gum, that's from God. That's from the Lord. <laughs> right? But I love the heartbeat. We all do it anyway. Why not invite our friends who don't know the Lord and maybe they can come in and see that, hey, we're not crazy. I don't think we are, are we? You can say I am, but I won't say you are. But the point is, is how are we using our time in order to be available to the Lord to say, folks, there are people all around us that are hurting and they need the hope of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What would God do in our lives in order to accomplish that? Are we willing to open our homes? Are we willing to spend time? Are we willing to get out of our comfort zone a little bit? Because we believe what God's word says. And there's an urgency to our day, to our time. Oh, I'm, I'm kind of broken about that, folks. 
because uh, for all kinds of reasons. But I'm broken about it in my own life as much as anybody else. How are we saying, Lord, here we are. I don't own anything, including my own life. And whatever you choose to do in and through my life, Lord, that's good because you're good, because you're my Lord, and I want to follow you. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 